thank you for the privilege of being here today, worshiping with you and being part of a very, very special missions emphasis. Your pastor is very wise, and you as a church are very wise, to set aside special time to make sure that you are aware of the many mission outreach ministries that you're a part of. It's so important that we, we try to get this big picture. And you are involved in, in so many different things. And uh, it's just an honor to be part of this and to um, be your editor of your state paper, the Biblical Recorder, uh, which um, we're, we're a mission agency as well. You see, you've got disaster relief missions, you've got medical missions, uh, you've got crisis missions of many different kinds, and then you have information missions. And that's what I am. I'm an information missionary. I'm here to tell you, and, and our whole staff is here, to give you the information of what God's up to in North Carolina, in the United States, in all the world. And we tell a lot of outstanding mission stories. And uh, I want to say something about that in just a minute, but I just want to say now that uh, we are owned by you. Okay, North Carolina Baptists own us and run us. We're managed by a 20-member board of directors, and one of your church family is one of our board of directors. Christina Brown is over here, and I guess everybody knows Christina, but thank you, Christina, for your service on the Biblical Recorders Board of Directors. It's an honor to have her as a part of our team and, and your team. And just to show you what we're all about, I want you to, show, I want you to see something here. I've got four of the latest copies of the Biblical Recorder, the last four right here in front of me. Let me go back to four. Four issues ago, the front story was about the Baptist Children's Homes breaking ground on a brand new ministry. This is one of the great ministries that you support all the time, Baptist Children's Homes. I could talk about it all day. Uh, the, the next one, Dr. Frank Page, Executive Director of the entire Southern Baptist Convention Ministry, your pastor works with him through the executive committee that he serves on. He was here in North Carolina speaking to one of our associations and talked about uh, the multiracial uh, makeup of our churches and our associations. And it's a great story that Seth Brown on our staff uh, did. He went down and uh, uh, was there present for that and uh, interviewed Dr. Page. And then two issues ago, the front page was about North Carolina Baptist men's disaster relief program and a new ministry they have of health ministry with uh, Crystal Horton on the front page. Uh, you never go wrong with a smiling woman on the front page of a newspaper, you know, uh, but that's a good one. And Frank Page as the preacher is up there like, Ugh. you know, so we followed it with a real pretty smiling lady and have a good, good front page, but that's an awesome ministry, North Carolina Baptist men. And then this week's issue and I want you to pick up a free copy in the foyer. Please get a copy of this. It shows you some of the great work that's going on in the fellowship of churches that we call Baptist Associations. And we have a series of stories. I wrote one about uh, what's going on in Metrolina Association. Awesome work going on there to where they sold their associational headquarters in downtown that used to be a lot of staff. Now they've trimmed down, didn't need that, sold it for $2.8 now investing that in church plants and revitalization and ministries. And they have every week 
uh, people coming from various nationalities. They have 77 uh, men and women from about uh, 15 different Asian countries coming for Bible study and learning how to uh, share the gospel and equip others. They have four different cultural groups meeting there in church plants, and they're having up to 12 as their goal uh, for church plants in their, in their new home, which is, uh, used to be a Baptist church, Green Memorial Baptist Church. But that church folded, gave the association this property, association sold that downtown, moved into this. It's just interesting to see the dynamic of what God's doing in moving things around today. A lot of change, a lot of things are happening that's just different. And we're telling you that story. Now, the reason I'm saying this is this is not a commercial. This is just actually what we do to serve you. Listen, I want, I want to ask you something. Now, don't you listen to this. Our three purposes, and I said this five years ago when I became the editor of this paper. I said there are three things we want to do. Number one, be biblical. All right, that's our name, biblical recorder. Be biblical. We want to focus on that because in the past the recorder has not been biblical always. Number two. We're going to focus on the Great Commission. This is our assignment as believers. This is the only reason we're left here on earth is to proclaim Christ. We're going to focus on the Great Commission. Number three, we're going to glorify God. We're going to be sure that what we do, what we do does give honor and glory to God and, and encourages the believers. Now stop and think about what I just said and let me ask you a question. Where are you getting your news from? Does your news source, number one, is it biblical? Does it have a biblical worldview? Number two, does your news source focus on the Great Commission, winning people to Christ? Number three, is your news source have as is, does it have as it, its objective to glorify God? All right, so what are you missing in your news? All three of those. Now, I'm not slamming other news sources, but Christians need to be able to get information from a Christian worldview. And that's why we exist. And if you do not allow us to serve you, then you're missing something. So you need to be getting the biblical recorder, and uh, we'll give you a three free month trial with this little card that's on the table out there. Actually, I think they're moving that table down to the Jim, while we're in this service, and these other missionaries that stayed in the first service have, have uh, gone down there to eat and get set up for the display in a little bit. But I want you to know, too, we have a website that's free access, and it's your website. You need to know this. This is the second largest Baptist newspaper website in the world, and it's right here in North Carolina. You know what the number one is? Well, guess, it has to be Texas. they got to be big about everything, you know. They think they're number one on everything. I live down there. Pam and I lived in Texas for a while, and I've got a lot of Texan friends. But they're the largest, and North Carolina is the second largest news, Baptist newspaper site in the world on the web. To give you an idea, yesterday, I checked this morning when I got up, and yesterday we had 34,000 people, unique visitors, on our website yesterday, Saturday. Do you know what that means? 34,000 people hardly visit most websites in a month or even in a week, but we get, had that yesterday. It's a popular website, brnow.org. Get your information there. We have free apps, Facebook, and a lot of other things, and we have a weekly 
e-newsletter that's on a clipboard sign up free at the table please be sure and check that out now I said all of that not again as a commercial but as a way of saying that's what we do to help you and partner with your pastor your staff your leaders on your mission to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth and we there are things you need to know because it's encouraging and it's challenging and we give you a lot of the mission vision and the mission picture in North Carolina and way beyond uh, right now in fact yesterday Seth Brown on our staff just returned from Nashville Tennessee because in Nashville for the past few days is the first time ever in this country a conference of this nature was held and we sent Seth to be there and cover it and he's going to be writing a story this week about it it's about something that's I'm talking about today in the message and it's called this is called uh, diaspora missions it's never been a diaspora missions conference in the United States that we know of and this was the first ever it's coming together to talk about diaspora missions. Diaspora has to do with people who have been dispersed or spread beyond their country of their nationality. In the United States alone, between 45 million and 50 million people in the United States were not born in this country that live here now, but they're from other nationalities. Worldwide, approximately 300 million people are now displaced. You can call them refugees. You can call them business men and women, medical people, others who, who uh, go to other countries to live. Uh, some of them go for an education and then end up staying there. But 300 million worldwide, it's never been a time in history where people have been spread like they, like they are right now. But it's also an open door for huge ministry. Uh, your pastor was telling me that an article in the Charlotte newspaper said that in Charlotte's school system, about 500 languages are spoken by those kids when they go home at the end of the day, approximately 500. There are people here from every nation, and we've done, let's just say this, okay? We've done a bad job, a poor job, I should say, of being passionate about going to the other parts of the world and sharing the gospel. We've, we've done some good stuff, but we've not done a great job at it. And so God said, okay, if you're not going to be obedient and go, you're going to use all your money to buy you bigger cars and houses instead of investing it in missions. I'm going to send them to you. And he's bringing those people to us now, and we're able to share the gospel. There are being churches planted and so many open doors of ministry. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I want to share with you a, a message over the next few minutes entitled, Sent with a Message. Sent with a Message from John chapter 20. If you have a copy of God's Word and want to look at that, I'll have the Scripture on screen as well. But uh, turn to this passage of Scripture. John chapter 20, verse 19. The Bible says this. The Bible says that, then the same day at evening. Okay, what day was this? The same day. This happened to be Sunday. Not just any Sunday. This is the 20th chapter of John. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 20, you'll see that Mary Magdalene is going to the tomb and discovers that it's open. The grave is empty. 
Somebody must have stolen the body or taken it. And she sees someone and says, oh, please tell me where they've moved the body of my, my Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, it's me. Oh, I thought you were a gardener. It's, it's you, Lord. Uh, you're alive. And they've discovered that the resurrection has just taken place. And this Jesus that was crucified, tortured beyond human ability, crucified with that awful pain of crucifixion, humiliated, buried in this tomb, he's alive. And she goes and tells uh, John and Peter, and they come and they verify it. And a lot of things have been going on. Rumors are now moving around that, oh, somebody stole his body. Or, no, but Mary said he actually is alive. Oh, yeah, but you know, I don't know if you can always trust what one person says. Well, so did uh, Peter and John. Oh, okay. Well, and just the, you know, the conversation swirling. And now we're at the end of the day. At evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut behind the disciples, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of all these rumors swirled. They were afraid of what might be going on and the accusations and whether, is this Jesus really alive? But there he is. Jesus came and stood in the middle of them, stood right there in their midst. And his first words after his crucifixion, peace be with you. Wow, they needed that. You and I live in a world where political chaos, financial confusion, cultural chaos changes all around us. And individually, people are caught up in family circumstances and job problems or other things, always going on health problems. Sure is good for Jesus to walk in the room in the middle of all that confusion and say, Peace. It's all right. It's all right. And that's what Jesus does. He says, you know, we need to trust him. We need to give him the chance to be our peace because we need that in a confused world. With all that's going on in the world, and I don't have time to comment on it and don't want to really, but we just need somebody to speak the peace of God in all this confusion. Jesus walks in and says, it's going to be all right. Verse 20 says, Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He not only verbally said, it's okay. He said, look, all the rumors, you can confirm them right now. See the wounds in my hands? It's me. See the wound in my side? It's me. It's all right. It's all right. And they were glad. <laughs> I'd love to do a little deeper word study on that word glad. I think it really means thrilled. <laughs> they were ecstatic when they saw the Lord. Really, this is our Jesus, that we were afraid he's dead, and we've heard these rumors, and we're not sure. We've heard that maybe it's true, and now here he is right in front of us. They were glad, to say the least. In verse 21, Jesus said to them, again, peace be to you peace to you and then he said this that's the focus of the message today look at this statement he said to them as the father has sent me i also send you 
Now, be careful. You would think that that means that there's a twin here. That is, is exactly as I have been sent, then I am duplicating that in you. But it's not. And the reason we know that is because the Greek language in which the Bible was written is a very precise language. And Jesus actually used two different words for sent in this passage. He said, as the Father has sent me. And he used the Greek word apostello, which is where we get apostle out of, which means someone who has been sent on a mission. An apostle is someone who literally goes from one place to the next. In fact, if you do a word study on this, you'll find that the word literally means to, to depart one location and to arrive at another. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I departed heaven. I arrived here. My mission has now been accomplished. And what was his mission? He died on the cross. It's completed. This is the very day he finished his mission. He paid for our sins. And so he said, the Father has sent me. But then he said, so send I you. And he used another word for send. This time he used a word that if you just say the Greek word, it's pimpo, which simply means to be sent with a verbal message, a message to deliver to someone else. It means to take sort of like a package and you go over here and you deliver it, as opposed to the first sent means to actually physically your whole body depart one location and go to another. The second one has to do with a package, so to speak. And in this case, the package is the message. So as the Father has sent me on a mission, I send you with a message. That's what we need to get here today. We all have a message. And every one of us, you, you're not a preacher, but you have a message. You have something that God has called you to do. What is that message? That, that's what you're asking. What is that message? And by the way, in the text, it does say that Jesus, after he had said this, breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit which was his next assignment, to depart from them, but to not leave them comfortless. He said that he had already predicted, I'll send the comforter. And so he gave them his Holy Spirit. So uh, uh, we need to be talking about that. Now, what is, what is it that Jesus has provided? We've been sent with this message, but did he help me out with this? Yes, he did. What has he provided? Just summarize it real quickly. Well, he's given us his peace. That's in this text and in many others. He's given us his peace. We have the comfort of God. Second, he's given us his presence. The pastor read that in the, uh, another one of the Great Commission texts. And this John 20 passage is a Great Commission text, too. But he read from the Matthew 28 version, and Jesus there said, go make disciples. And he said, what? I will be with you always, even to the end. So he's given us his presence. It, it makes me wonder sometimes, and I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody because we all do this at times, but we'll be praying and we say, Lord, be with us. Has he already said, I'll be with you? <laughs> I mean, why do we ask him? It's kind of like the, 
father who says to his little daughter, honey, I love you. And every day the daughter comes to the dad and says, dad, please love me. Dad, please love me. Well, I do, sweetie. But dad, please love me. Well, I do. But dad, please love me. I mean, we keep saying, God be with us. Well, he said, I am. I promise that. Well, God be with us. Well, I am. We don't have to ask him. He, he's already said, I will be there. What we need to be asking instead is, God, make your presence known in powerful ways. Make your presence so obvious that it slaps me in the face. Make your presence so real that we don't miss your presence here today. But he's already there. We don't have to ask him to come here or wherever. But then he's given us his sacrifice. Jesus has just died on the cross. He gave his whole life, his life's blood. The worst pain a person could endure, Christ did that. He paid and he beat death. And that's the fourth thing he's given us, his power. His power over death demonstrates that he has power over everything else in this world. We all have enemies. We have things that are against us that we battle with. But we all have one common enemy. I don't have the same enemies you do in a lot of ways, but there's one enemy we all have. It's death. It's the enemy that is going to eventually end this world for all of us. And Jesus beat that biggest enemy. He beat our common enemy. He defeated death. And so he's given us the equipment we need to be messengers for Christ, for him. So if that's the case, then what's the message? What has he given us? He's given us these things. What's the message? Well, I could give you dozens of scriptures. Let me give you a couple of examples, though. He said himself in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has, uh, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his job. He said, I came to come after the lost because I, God loves everyone enough to not want us to be destroyed by sin. He came to get victory, give us victory over our sin. He also said in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He came to serve, gave his whole life, gave it as a ransom for all of us. Paul said in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who goes to church, no. Joins a church, no. Does something religious, no. To everyone who believes. Say the word believes. To everyone who believes. That's what it is, just to believe him, to trust him. It's, it's not hard. Anybody can trust him. And he says that's for the Jew or the Greek. And the scripture goes on and on. We could use many of them, and we just don't have time to talk about them all. But Paul emphasized it. Jesus emphasized it. There was a mission that Jesus had, and there, that mission he accomplished. But then he gave us a message, and our mission is to communicate that message. That's what we're all about. So there, there's one other question I want to ask you today. How do I tell the message? How do I communicate this message? Okay, everyone in this room has a way that God has given you to communicate the message. You, you don't have to be full-time pastor and staff. You just need to be one who, whose life has been changed by the gospel. You can share that message. Where I served at Mount Vernon in my last pastorate, uh, I remember we had a lot of different opportunities 
But they didn't come from me as a pastor saying, you need to do this and you need to do this. But they came from people who came to me and said, can we do this? There were two surgeons, physicians, I should say. One of them was a surgeon, but they were both physicians in our church who came to me one day and said, Pastor, down the street about a mile and a half is a trailer park. Last year in our county, there were two murders. Both of them were in that trailer park. The police tell us that that trailer park is the center of the drugs in this county. We want to buy a trailer and rent a piece of the property in that trailer park and start a mission there and outreach to the people there. We've already gone to the owner of the trailer park and asked him if he would be open to that. He said he'd be so open to it, he would give us the property rent free. So these two, this wasn't my idea. These two physicians, their wives, they opened up the lighthouse in a trailer park. The police in the city thanked us over and over for the mission. We set up shop there. We did um, training of all different kinds. We did after-school tutoring. We did ESL language training. We took them to medical facilities. A lot of them were people from different parts of the world. And it grew and grew and grew. Next thing you know, people came to us and said, we need a Hispanic ministry in our church. And so we went to Mexico City and found a lady who was a professor at the Baptist Seminary in Mexico and said, would you come up and help us basically kind of do Christian social work? And so we moved her to Boone, and she started going and ministering out of that trailer park, but across the whole county and reaching Hispanics. And then they started coming, and they took a whole section of our church, and they, would, they just grew and grew, and I began, they, I was baptizing them. And they loved it. I, I speak enough Spanish to where I did the entire service. I baptized each one of them in Spanish, the entire thing. And they loved it. They just clapped, and they were just like, whoa, this is awesome. And they were coming to Christ. That wasn't my idea. pastor didn't start that. Then a man came to me one day, and he's Swahili. He's from Kenya. And, and he, you could tell. I mean, it's hard to understand at times. He said, Pastor, I've been coming here. He joined our church, actually. He said, I've been coming here for a while. I want to tell you, we have identified 70 people in Watauga County. Hey, folks, that's in the hills. 70 people who are Swahili and speak Swahili and from different parts of East Africa, and they would like to have a way to come together in fellowship. Can we start a Swahili worship service? <laughs> I said, a what? A Swahili worship service. And they go in there, and hey, folks, it's the coolest thing you've ever seen. Can you imagine? I mean, they're in there, they're dancing. They would be thrown out of a lot of formal churches. They were just excited, and they were, they were yodeling and all this other kind of stuff. And I, I attended their service. They had an afternoon service. It wasn't my idea. It was people like you in the pews that said, these people and these people, there's all kinds around us. How do you communicate the message? Number one, in actions in actions. You find ways to apply the message that has changed your life. What am I doing that I can invest in others and help them come to know Christ? Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
And this is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all it took is for people in the Sunday morning worship service to have their eyes open to look at their neighbors and see, oh, there's a pocket of crime over here. We need to do something about it. Or there's an unreached people group over here. They're, they're, they're hungry. Or there's a family that's struggling, and I need to reach out to them. We need a Bible study in my neighborhood. I found out that, uh, well, I started going to a cleaners, a laundry cleaners, to take shirts and slacks and suits and wife's dresses and things um, several years ago. And the man is from Tehran. He doesn't speak real clear English. He's been here for a little while now, but he owns the dry cleaners. And I would go in and, and talk to Amon and get to know him. But one Christmas early on, um, Pam said, why don't we take Amon some preserves? And we got them from Biltmore. They were really quality stuff. And, and so I walked in, and it's Christmas, and I didn't know if Amon would understand a lot of what's going on at Christmas. He's been here long enough. He ought to get that. But I started out by saying, hey, Amon. He said, hello, Mr. Bloom. How are you? I said, I'm doing good, good. He said, uh, I said, Amon, do you like preserves? And he said, well, yeah, I like them the way we do them in the Middle East, but you Americans, you don't know how to do it. You butcher them. You just, you know, he goes on and on. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I wanted to give you some preserves for Christmas, if you don't mind, but Oh, oh yeah, thank you, thank you. That's fine. That's good. I like the preserves, you know. <laughs> seconds before we Americans didn't do it very good but he he goes on and uh, we I said well I just want to give you a, a Christmas gift and and uh, I hope you and your family enjoy this holiday season don't know how you celebrate but uh, you know just God bless you and and appreciate you you're a good hard-working man <clears throat> you know that for the next three weeks every time I went in to either take my laundry or pick it up every time he would do this Ah, Mr. Bloom, good to see you. Thank you so much that you think of me. He said, just that you, and he just kept going, just that you think of me. That is important. That is important. Next time I go in, Mr. Bloom, thank you that you think of me. Just that you think of me is so important. I like that, he said. Well, here was a man of another nation, and I'm just kind of wondering, has anybody here ever really just kind of said we care about you? My, there's a, a friend of mine uh, who's an editor of another Baptist paper in another state. There, each state has their own papers. And uh, this guy and I were uh, meeting together in one of our cities here in North Carolina. And I'm not going to identify it because I'm going to tell you a little too much about the story. But we said, let's go into some of the downtown shops. A lot of them look international. We went to this one shop, and it said Peruvian. Now, I, I've been there before. Pam and I have, we've been to Korea and Pakistan and um, Turkey and Europe, and I've been to South America, to Africa. We've been to a lot of places. But I said, ah, oh, I've been to Peru. Let's go talk to these people. Let's see who's here. Walked in this Peruvian shop, and there was one lady in there that's the owner, and there was not one customer in there. So my friend and I just look around, and then we say, uh, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from a town outside of Trujillo, Peru. And I said, oh, I've been to Trujillo. She lit up, really, really, let me tell you. I, I, and I said, so the next question, so what brought you here? That was it. Two questions. You know, where are you from? Number two, what brought you here? For 10 minutes, this woman just dumped her life story. That's all it takes, folks, to strangers. 
Just ask the question. And she told us how that in Peru, she and her husband, their store had been bombed, she said, by terrorists. One of their employees were killed. She said, we need to move to a safer location, chose North Carolina. We came up here, opened this store. My husband went back. He got involved with a woman, never came back. We divorced. I'm here with my daughter. We're by ourselves. We're struggling. We're trying to make it with this store. And she just dumped her life story. There are people out there that want to tell you their life story. They're open to that. And then the next thing is they want to know your story. Well, what's your story? And it's incredible what this woman was saying. And we asked her, said, have you, have you gone to a church since you've been here? How long have you been here? About a year. Have you gone to a church? Well, I went to one church and I had kind of a sleeveless top on and shoulders exposed. And the, the minister said, you know, you shouldn't dress like that and come to church. You need to put on more, <clears throat> more clothes. She says, well, I didn't go back. I didn't go back there or anywhere. I haven't gone anywhere. I called a friend of mine and said, who lives in that town, and I said, would you give your women's ministry director a mission? Tell her to go to this Peruvian store and talk to the owner who is wide open. There are people all around us who are so open. You know, it's kind of like the ministry of Jesus. Have you ever, have you ever really looked at what Jesus did? He spent his whole ministry eating and going into people's homes. Sometime do a Bible study. It might be worth a series, Scott, to just look at how many times Jesus and food were connected. He must have been a Baptist, you know. First, he calls Matthew, Levi. Matthew says, you know what? I'm going to follow you, but we're having a party over at my house, and I'm going to invite everybody. That's cool. Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. We're going to your house. I'm going to eat with you. Feed the 5,000. Oh, no, no. We, we eat all the time, so why don't you have some people to eat with you sometime? People that you, nobody else in your neighborhood has ever invited into, your, in, into their homes. Our actions. Our lifestyle is a second way. And I've sort of been describing that. Our lifestyle. Our actions are one way, but our lifestyle is to just the way we live. Are we missional in, in our perspective? Are we looking for opportunities and wondering, how can I touch this life? What about this neighbor? Pam and I live in a neighborhood where most of the people around us are from India. It's incredible. Everywhere I go, you cannot go one mile in our community without seeing someone dressed in clothing that would be national to India. And there are, there are people all around. Some of those are our neighbors. And I, one lady, she makes the best rice. <laughs> I love rice, and her Indian rice is delicious. And she knows I love it. You know, make some connections with these folks. Our lifestyle. Third is our attitude. Uh, we're on mission and communicate the message with our attitude. W with the way that we look at everything. Am I superior? Am I better than somebody else? Well, actually, Jesus said it's the opposite in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and following. And we won't read it all, but that whole text. Paul talked about this. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Better than our attitude, nothing like that. He said, but instead, we should esteem others as better than ourselves. 
And he goes on down saying, not let it, not looking at your own interest, but in verse 4 or verse 5, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And verse 6 tells us how he humbled himself. That's the attitude that our mission has to be fulfilled with, the attitude of Christ Jesus. But then let's move along to the fourth and final thing I want to say to you, and that's the obvious, the words. Yeah, our actions are part of our message. Our lifestyle is part of our message. Our attitude is part of our message. But you can't get any message across without using words at some point. And so you need to be willing, and I need to be willing. We all need to be open to those opportunities to share the message wherever we go. And by the way, you say, but, but I am so shy. Do you know the power of this book? Just to give someone a copy of a Bible in their language. My wife goes for chemotherapy regularly up at Chapel Hill, and there was a, a girl from China that was in the school, that was in the nursing, and, and she worked hard to get that young lady a Chinese Bible because she knew, though, that she couldn't, Pam couldn't communicate very much with this young lady. The Bible will do the job. And that's why I love the Gideons. Lester was in here a while ago with the Gideons. I know him and a lot of the Gideons. And I could tell you stories all day about the Gideons. But did you know right here in North Carolina, the Gideons took a truckload of almost 20,000 Bibles into one of our military bases because they had called. And they always, Gideons do things well. They called in advance and said, can we uh, give every one of the military personnel on the base a Bible? And, the, and they understood the commander of the base to say yes. They got a huge truck, nearly 20,000 Bibles. They go to the gate, and the guards at the gate say, what are you doing? They said, well, we have permission from the base commander to distribute these Bibles on the base. They called the base commander, and they said, sorry, sir, but the base commander said, I didn't give permission for that, and you're going to have to leave. And they said, okay, we don't want to violate the base commander. Uh, we'll take the Bibles. But the man at the guard at the gate, he was a lieutenant or something, he said, look, um, I want a copy of one of those before you go. And the Gideon said, I'm sorry, sir, but if the base commander has rejected it, we have to honor that. We can't give you a Bible. And this guy said, well, sir, you have to understand, while he's in authority over the base, I'm in authority over opening that gate, and you're not leaving here until I get a copy of the Bible. <laughs> he said, okay, we'll follow. He gave that lieutenant at the gate a copy of the Bible, and they took this truckload on back. Two weeks later, this Gideon gets a call. This happened right here in North Carolina. This Gideon gets a call from the base commander. And he said, are you so-and-so? And you work with the Gideons? And you brought some Bibles to my base? And didn't I tell you that you didn't have permission? And did you give one of those to one of our guards at the gate? And he said, yes, sir. Because that guard said he insisted on me giving one of those. We were trying to honor you, sir. But the guard insisted. He said, well... Okay, that guard's my son-in-law, and he and, his, he and my daughter have been having a lot of marriage problems, but over the last two weeks, he's been reading that Bible, and it's changed his life. <laughs> I want you to bring that truckload of Bibles back, and I want everybody on our base to have a copy of it. 
because it's changed my son-in-law's life, I want everybody else to have a copy of it. You see, that's the power of the Bible. And if you don't do anything else but give somebody a Bible, the words the Holy Spirit will use, and it will change lives. It will make a difference. There's so much we can talk about. I hope you will uh, go down and be part of what uh, this missional uh, gathering that we're having this afternoon around food, good old Baptist thing and Bible thing to have. But what is it that God's called you to do? I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer that will lead us up to the time of commitment, of invitation. In just a minute, your pastor is going to be down here and our music team's going to lead us in a song. And you and I have an opportunity to respond to whatever it is God has said to us. What is it the Holy Spirit said to you in this time? Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray, but I want everybody to stand to our feet so I can lead us in prayer. As we all stand, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And when I say amen, the music will begin. And you respond to what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about here today. Father, I pray that whatever you have spoken to our hearts in this time, that you will get glory out of it being lived out, applied to the way we live, so that we will be obedient. As you have sent your son Jesus, and he fulfilled his mission. Now he has sent us. We want to be faithful to fulfill our mission. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.